0: Welcome to the podcast of Itfa 2018. My name is Orwan Arabiya. I'm Itfa's artistic director. In this podcast, we're presenting a selection of recordings from the year's industry sessions and doc talks. In this episode, you're going to listen to the doc talk with director Steve James that took place after the full-day screening of his documentary series America to Me. It was recorded on November 18th,
1: 2018. Hi everybody, my name's Sean. Uh, please welcome Steve James, director with uh, Kevin Shaw, uh, a co-director on the film, unit director. John Condy, series producer. Sorry, I didn't know uh, John as well. Join us. <laughs> Great. How many people have been here since 10 a.m. today? How many? Yes. We need a group picture after group shot. Everyone, you're in a special club. Yeah. Nice job. I did the half marathon. I right? would seen the first five. Incredible. I bet it was an amazing experience. And I mean, yeah. I know, well, you know, not necessarily me to be seen in this way, but what a, I mean just a long, like reading a novel in a day in, in some way. And that's all obviously thanks to the, uh, the, the richness and the great storytelling craft of the material you're working. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure they echo that in, in for this uh, experience, this gift. And, um, you know, we can talk for 10 hours now, of course. Uh, <laughs> after a binge watch at home with my wife, we'd be just dissecting everything. And, uh, but we only have about 30 minutes, so we'll just uh, talk about a few things. I- I'll ask you a little bit about the production and, and the context for the production and how it came to be. Um, there's uh-huh. a... Someone's, oh, you're going to get microphones. Okay. And... Um, and I'm sure Steve and, and uh, your colleagues here would like to hear some thoughts, too, and some questions from the audience. This is the international premiere uh, right. of the film, and, and, and I know it's been uh, just recently completed, The, you know, uh, released over a 10-week uh, period on stars. So just talk about, a little bit back to the beginning, uh, how a project of this size and, and scope, and just in terms of the subject, in terms of the production logistics, in terms of the access, how that sort of, in
2: broad strokes, came to fruition. Okay, we'll do this quick. Um, <clears throat> so years ago, <clears throat> years ago, when uh, Judy, my wife, who's sitting right over here, our kids were at OPRF because we've lived in Oak Park for many years, um, is when the initial idea came to me that it'd be interesting to do a series looking at race and achievement in a place like Oak Park, where um, you know you have tremendous diversity, and uh, progressive politics, and well-funded schools, um, socioeconomic range, um, and yet you know, has failed mainly black students for decades. And so, but I never thought that would be possible. And, and so how it came about was because that man on the end there, John Connie, read an interview that I had given around life itself, a film I did on Roger Ebert that appeared in the, in the local Oak Park Journal. And then, John, you take it from there, you called me up.
3: Yeah, we, we just met, you know, I've been a teacher at the high school, you probably saw me in there, if you didn't, I was in there, five and 10. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I've been a teacher at the high school for 16 years, I'm of course a film producer. Um, and I thought, we've had an achievement gap there for decades, and I thought we could do a film on this subject. And I told Steve that we didn't have to have the administration's approval to get us greenlit to do it in the school, we needed the board. And that was a whole different thing, because as you saw, the administration kind of shunned us. So we took it right to the board, and that's kind of the way we were able to kind of position ourselves in to do the, do the project. And there were many battles throughout the, throughout the year. We had meetings every single week with the administration. They would have problems with what we were doing, but we we worked through them all as best we could and and ended up shooting the the final project. Or
2: or threatened to go to the school board in in cases where they wouldn't budge on really, you know, uh, ridiculous um, demands. So really quickly, so we went to the school board. We got the school board's approval. One of the ideas was, they said was, how can you deal with this in a single film? I said, have you seen how long my films are? Uh, but so, so the original
1: pitch was for a single. It was uh, to the board to do a and single uh, f- uh, one-off,
2: on. okay. right? And then they said, "How can you do that?" And I said, "I think you're right. We we will attempt to try to raise money, do it as a miniseries. That's the right way to go." Participant Media came on board, made it possible to do that. Um, the idea from the get-go was to bring on a team of filmmakers uh, who were both directors and shooters, <clears throat> so that there were four of us in the field that, doing that. Um, myself. Um, Kevin sitting right here, uh, uh, Rebecca Parrish, and Bing Liu. Bing Lu has a film, Mining the Gap, that's played in this festival, which is, you know, in my humble opinion, the Documentary of the Year. Um, so we had this incredibly talented group of, of filmmakers and, and then we, um, why don't you, Kevin, why don't you talk about how we kind of divided and conquered that problem. Yeah, you know. finding
1: the characters and.
2: Yeah, the, well that started with, I'll just say that real quickly, that started with, uh, John and I did these intake interviews. You see them featured at the beginning of episode five with the white students. Um, we did that with all the students that we were considering and we probably did over 40 families and kids that we then, um, we took to the team, the creative team, about a dozen of those that we thought would be good. And we ended up initially following Seven knowing that we would probably add kids, which we did along the way. But that was sort of the broad strokes.
0: Yeah. And we had a meeting, right? When yeah. we had a big meeting where we uh, had already watched all of the videos and kind of each of the segment directors, myself, Bing, Rebecca, kinda of had notes as to, you know, whose stories kind of spoke to us and who would be some families and students that we'd like to follow. And so, you know, we kinda of had a big brainstorming meeting and figured out who would be a good pairing in regards to filmmakers and students and we kind of decided those right themselves there.
1: would have been fascinating conversations who follows who what the dynamics you're looking for between
2: you know filmmaker and subject yeah so for example like you know an, the initial thing was to the question to the team was who are these students you think should be in the series and then beyond that who do you particularly find interesting that you think you would like to follow and it it, it didn't i I worried going into it that it was going to be potentially tough because you know three filmmakers would want the same person and there was a little bit of overlap in terms of desire um but it worked out really well because i I had to referee it just ever so slightly and 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 everybody no and everybody was so you know there there was not an issue at all but So for instance, when I reached out to Kevin to be uh, a director on this, I I know, it's the first time I've worked with Kevin, but I knew his background, and he had done a lot of really terrific um, sports-themed documentaries, um, particularly about the black experience um, of athletes, but not just that, and he had a real strong track record in that, and I thought he would be great for this series, and I knew that, I mean, it was pretty safe bet that Ken Dale was gonna be one of the kids we all wanted in the series. And I was determined that this man was gonna follow Ken Dale. Um, and he did a, you know, a phenomenal job with that story, I think you would agree. He also followed Kashan, and he followed Gabe when Gabe entered the series. And so- Yeah, there's a way
1: in which wrestling becomes like a metaphor. <laughs> Just the physical scenes of wrestling take on a whole other level, and that's amazing shooting. And-
0: yeah, I mean, I, I don't think any of us, at least I didn't expect there to be such a strong racial dynamic with that sport too and how that kind of played into the entire themes that we were discussing with the film and the series. So I think that was kind of like an added bonus to, to what we were trying to accomplish there.
2: Yeah, and so, like, and so for instance, just uh, uh, just I, the stories that the other directors followed. So um, Bing ended up following um, Grant uh, and Charles And Jada, and Jada was discovered along the way. Actually, discovered initially by an interview Rebecca did, but then one of our uh, our associate editors looked at the interview with Jada and went, "I think this is somebody we should be following." Ruben. So, you know, and, and for Bing, if you've seen his film, he you know his film is about broken families and where the father's absent, and of course Charles ended up in particular being a great story for him to tell. Um, because Charles had some similar um, similarities in his background, and then Rebecca follows Shanti, um, uh, um, uh, Caroline, and um, and Diane when Diane enters the series later. And you know, again, just to single out one of those, like with Rebecca, you know, she did a magnificent job with all of them, but with Shanti. She did a terrific job because that was not an easy story to follow, and they really, she really found a way to connect with her, um, you know, in a very intimate and beautiful way. And then I, I followed uh, of the kids. I followed uh, Terrence, Tierra, and and Brendan. So. Um,
1: and uh, you, please let me know if there are questions along the way. I mean, um, they have questions. I, we're I'm happy. Sure. We're happy to take them. But I'll I'll continue uh, in, in, until such case. But just raise your hand, and I'll point to you. Um, obviously, um, in terms of the characters that you shot, there's an implicit uh, you know, agreement to be filmed and be in the film. What about the characters? H- how many characters are, did you want to film but did not want to be? And talk a little bit about access to the, the characters that, that you maybe wanted to include in the film but resisted uh, being in the film and what some of those reasons may have been.
2: Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think in two of Kevin's stories, we encountered some of those difficulties. Why don't you talk about Kashan and Gabe?
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, Keyshawn. Obviously, you saw what was going on with his family during the course of uh, the year. So that was a, a very um, difficult kind of um, journey to to capture. And I think as a filmmaker, you know, you have to try to give some some some. Um, you have to give that family the privacy to kind of deal with what they were going through but yet you're still trying to capture the story a little bit. So there was many, many times where Keyshawn didn't want to be filmed. And uh, we just kind of worked through it because we knew that his story was still very important. We just didn't want him to fall off and and not be a part of the series because he is a, a student, that um, has a story to tell. Uh, he, he is a type that could be invisible, is invisible in that school sometimes. and there are many students like him. And since we had access to his story from the beginning, we needed to continue to tell it because you know, he has a rich portrait as, as you guys uh, saw. So, we we worked with that. <laughs> we worked with him and his family. And Danielle, I think, to her credit, was always more engaged and always kind of knew the end game and kind of realized uh, the importance of, of sharing their story. Because I think a lot of times, you know, um, families like her don't have an opportunity to have their stories be told. So she she knew that You know, we were coming from a real, real um, uh, um, honest uh, point of view that we really wanted to 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 have her story told in this series. And then with Gabe... Um, you know, he was a higher achieving student. He was a student that was in honors classes, um, and we had a strong difficulty in getting to into any of those classes to, to see him do any of his work. We weren't able to really get into any of his classes, and then we got into one toward, um, you know, middle half of the year there when we started, started filming.
1: What was the consent required? Was it a teacher consent required in those cases? We would go yeah. and,
0: yeah, we would, basically have a conversation with every teacher before we should be and try to get their their um, permission to film and we had conversations with many of Gabe's teachers and for a variety of reasons maybe you want to talk a little bit about that as to why they didn't want us to to film in there.
1: In general I would yeah a little bit about the rules of engagement obviously you had a sort of some kind of broader access agreed upon by the school board but the individual negotiations around uh, the sort of rules of engagement there. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: What was really interesting is I was still teaching there when we shot the series, and the teachers w- could not be... You're still teaching there now, right? I am.
2: Okay. <laughs> we don't know. Just want to make sure you didn't get fired in the last week.
3: Or not something? yet. No. <laughs> uh, we actually could... Steve and I could not actually approach teachers directly to talk to them about their wanting to be in the film, they made us actually go through the communications director at the high school, ask her if we could, and she could ask them if we could approach them. It was really very awkward and weird because I'd been in the building for 16 years, so these were all people that I knew, so it wasn't like I was not gonna not talk to them, but they they really tried to control us. They didn't want us to feel, they didn't want the teachers to feel pressured um, but as you can see from the teachers here in the film, the, these teachers are gonna make up their own mind whether they wanted to be in it or not. And they would have no problem saying no to me uh, or Steve if they really did not want to be in the series and that's the, some of the battles that we faced.
2: But it also, it did have a chilling effect because the, the and I, we had several teachers tell us privately that um, they knew that, um, um, that the administration was against the series. And so they didn't, see, they didn't see how this would be a good thing for them to want to be in it. Um, they just didn't see any, any positive necessarily that would come out of that. And, um, and at one point when we pushed back, they tried to claim that we couldn't even have a conversation with a teacher in a hallway uh, without first going through them. And we, we just said, that's ridiculous. They're adults. Um, they said, we're Switzerland, we're, we're, we're unbiased, and we're like, no, you're not Switzerland, you're, 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 you clearly don't want this series to happen, and teachers know that, so you're not Switzerland. Um, and less than half the teachers agreed to be in it. That this Now, it, it does you a favor on some level, because instead of 1,400 hours, God knows how many hours we would have shot <laughs> if we'd have been in more classes, but it really was problematic. And, and in Gabe's case, his parents had gotten the impression somehow that this was a promotional film for the the school Uh, and it wasn't until we reached him later in the process and and showed him that no no we're not doing a promotional film that then he was more willing to have his son follow but at that point like Kevin said that there were teachers that in AP classes that just didn't want to let us in and I, I my belief is is that some of that was wrapped up in knowing that those classes maybe had only Gabe as a black student in it um, nervousness about them being a teacher with all white kids and one black kid and how would they come off dealing with that kid. I mean, a lot of, a lot of like, fears around that, that they just weren't willing to let us in. Only one guidance counselor of any of our kids let us film, um, Tara and Terrence's guidance counselor, was the only guidance counselor. We, we, John and I met with every one of them, and they all said no out of fear. There was a lot of fear in that school, as, as Tyrone Williams says, at the, in episode ten, it's a school that operates under fear, and that extended to some degree to the film. How, having said that, though, we did have—it's such a huge school—we managed to get ourselves into a lot of situations that and capture things that you know.
1: Um, beyond you, you issues, have a, of, you have some questions. Oh, okay, up about go there. ahead. Let's go on. Yeah, that was—that's a. Has, have you uh, showed it to the school staff uh, uh, at this point? Oh yeah. <laughs> and what was that screening like? We'd love to hear. Well, the, it's All interesting. All 10 hours at once or just here?
3: here? Well, they, they, show the script, they show the film uh, every, they were showing it every week as it was coming out. The interesting thing is they showed it to the community. Let's say they showed it to the community. No. It's not part of the No, it's not part. And story. actually our racial equity um, strand that we go through, they've been instructed to not mention the series which is crazy so like I'm in the school and I don't hear jack about this film I don't hear anything because they're just not they're just not talking about it or maybe they're just not talking to me about it
2: well yeah I think what it I mean my sense is and tell me if I got this wrong it's like first of all you have to understand there was a big impact campaign launched around the series and um, there's something like 48 school districts around the country that have said they want to use it um, in their schools but not Oak Park River Forest High School. Um, and some of it is very much wrapped up into the, in the fact that um, the principal is still there. There's a new superintendent who is more receptive to the series because she was not there when we made the series, so that's good, and she's been more embracing in general, but the principal's still there and it's awkward because the film, even though he's not in it much, it's critical of, of him. Um, The racial equity leaders are not in the, one of them is in the film, but they've decided that they don't like it because the the racial equity leader is uh, a guy that, you know, It's threatening in some levels, this film, because they they have positions of authority around these issues and to have a film come in and do this is sort of usurps their authority in ways. And so they've been resistant to it. It's part of the problem with the school and the community in general, which is people who should be all on the same side of issues are not, you know, Jess Stovall is somehow not worthy enough to have her programs or her equity leadership be embraced in the school. How is that possible? Right? How is that possible? It's because there's a lot of um, there's a, there's a lot of internal sort of you know liberal bickering going on. God, I love Ms. Stovall. I want she's my parent
1: <laughs> therapist. I'm, I have teen parent. I have teen kids. She's my gave me a good lesson in parenting. Go ahead. Any updates on anybody? So Jess, uh, any updates
2: well, on Jess? Jess is at, in in a Ph.D. program uh, at Stanford now, which is great for her, but she would tell you if she was here that it's not what she ultimately wanted. She wanted to stay at that school, teach, and retire from that school, but it, she just didn't feel like she could stay at that school. Incredible.
1: I have a question about uh, you know. Obviously, you're there filming. First of all, just a quick sidebar. How many days would you film? Just logistically, how often were you there? Every day. You were there every day. Well, we figured out.
2: We did the math on it. Um, If you if you do the math on the number of school days divided by the number of hours, we were there for longer than a school day every day. But we weren't always at the school. Yeah, it must be said we were sometimes in people's homes yeah. or, or at other events. So, but we, we basically filmed the average of more than a school day per day for the entire year. So there's obviously resistance to you coming in.
1: You're there. Half the teachers don't. More than half the teachers do not want to participate. You're having an impact on the daily school environment. Your presence in the school. How do you deal with that as filmmakers and grapple it? Steve, I've always admired about uh, one of the things that you do in your film is, you know, if there are two schools in your filmmaking, if there's two schools of documentary filmmaking, there's sort of the fly in the wall, uh, you know, direct cinema or observational cinema. Then in in classic cinema, you're kind of the fly in a soup. (laughs) And you've always somehow managed to sort of have it both ways. You're, there's a sense that you, you step in and then you, you step out for long periods and we forget that, you know, the, oh, there's a director. And then you come in with uh, some voiceover or with some, some uh, self-reflexivity about your role as a filmmaker. Talk about how you talked, uh, you know, uh, as a team effort on what your presence was meaning and how it was somehow changing something in the school and altering the daily. How did you grapple with this notion that you were part of the action on a daily basis in the school?
2: Yeah, I mean, Kevin, you should weigh in on this, too. I'll just say a couple of things. One is is that um, we, we really endeavored to, to keep our footprint as small as possible. One of the reasons why I wanted to hire director shooters um, and, and, and myself to, to act in that role was we wanted to keep our crews really small. So when we're in a classroom, oftentimes, it would just be one of us and a sound person, and that was it. Um, we, you know, because we wanted, we one of the promises we made to teachers is, is that we would we would honor whatever rules of the classroom they had in terms of where we could be, or how forward we could be with filming, because we did not want to disrupt the educational environment. Um, and you know, we were in there enough that kids, yeah, there's, there's some mugging in the hallways and stuff like that, but you know, it actually dissipated after a while because we got, you know, we were just a boring film crew at a certain point. Um, but we we really tried to be. Yes, you know, we can't not help but have some kind of impact, but we really endeavored to to um, be as agreeable. You know, there were many times when we encountered teachers who were kind of hostile, like, I don't want to be filmed, and we, we always were like, that's so great, sorry, you know. We, we never wanted it to get back to the administration that we had acted in any way to impede what was going on or that we had been improper in any way, even though they would sometimes try to make claims that we had been.
0: Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing, you know, not to be a distraction. But I don't ever remember us, and a credit to you for us as the segment directors, I don't ever remember you, you know, Mm -hmm. sitting down and saying there was a specific edict on how we should film. You know, there was no kind of stylistic Bible created at the beginning to say this is how we're going to approach it. You know, it really was based on these are the people, the participants in this film that we're going to follow and what are their stories and what are the things that they're doing, what classes are we going to, what extracurricular activities are they, are they involved in, and what can we film. And that was really the biggest emphasis of, uh, you know, just really attacking the story in that way. Uh, but always to, you know, not, not to be a distraction for sure, because uh, that, was, that was huge.
2: Yeah, we tried to operate as much under the radar as possible. Totally. We, we, it's a big school, so that, that was possible. And, and we communicated a lot as filmmakers about um, if we were encountering difficult situations, we'd talk to one another about it and seek each other's advice about it or help with it. And, you know, it really was a, it, it, you know, the production was located in the basement of um, our house, Judy and my house, because it's about three or four blocks from the school. So it became a place where you know we would rendezvous, and I know there were many times when Bing or Kevin or Rebecca would come back and hope to just drop off the gear and get out of there, and then here I come down the stairs to talk to them and be like, okay.
0: <laughs> we're staying another 30 minutes, 40 minutes to talk about the day. Yeah.
2: Uh, go ahead, and then yeah. we'll come down here. There's some self-selection in there. Yeah. You know, the teachers who cared most deeply about these issues, uh, and the ones that felt a level of comfort with what they were doing were more willing to be in the series than not, which is why I think it's great when you see and there's at least a couple of teachers. You see more than a couple, but but you in particular see two that that have more presence in the series, that are struggling more. Um, you know, the physics teacher Aaron Podolny, who thinks he's got it all figured out um, and and doesn't. And I I really like Tierra's chemistry teacher too, because he's clearly not in complete control of that classroom and he knows that and he's willing to talk about some of the ways in which he feels like he can't um, relate to certain students uh, as he does to other students. But yet you also see in both him and Aaron, you see teachers who care and that are trying even if their attempts are not always as effective, so you're right. I mean, there are a lot of teachers in that school that are probably just bad teachers, and those teachers were, you know, smart enough not to um, let us in their classroom. Do
1: you think the film
2: helped them now because they they are struggling also to get the the program working? Well. I, you know, this, this film is, is having an impact in the community without question uh, because we had this town hall a few weeks ago that New York Times was a part of and some of the frankest conversations I've seen publicly happened and it was all related to the film and participants in the film doing panels and out of that, during that event, a group of black students, mostly black and some biracial students, came down and as part of a planned protest, which we knew was gonna happen and we were very supportive of and sort of commandeered the town hall for a bit and, um, and made, made clear their demands, very specific demands that they want changes in the school, which we, we thought was great. And, and as a result of that, it's sort of like one of the things you're seeing in the community now is, is young black people and some black teachers like Anthony Clark who are just saying, you know, talk is not enough, we want, Defined action, and we're not we're not going to stand for anything less than that. And that's not happened in that community before. And sort of one of the unfortunate outcome out uh, or results of that is is that there's been some posting of racist graffiti around the school in the last few weeks. Um, the feeling is is that it's some students um, for whatever reason, uh, but. There's a feeling of threat, you know, that that's manifesting itself. I don't think those are widespread feelings in the in the community at all. But there is a feeling that these black students, in particular, are are standing up now and saying very forcefully, change needs to happen. Uh, we had a question here.
1: So. Yeah, so. The part- question is around the impact campaign and, and how the film has been doing its work in the world. So, um,
2: Participant is a company that's very focused on, um, on impact with, with all their films. And so, they mounted this very impressive um, impact campaign that went around the country. So each week that the, an episode aired, we were in a different city and um, and filmmakers and and some subjects and then people from that local community who work with equity would be a part of those screenings and then conversations and they were creating watch groups. I think they had over 1,100 watch groups um, around the country and we were in you know a bunch of different cities with events and and out of that came some of this um, you know, different school districts which are embracing it. Uh, it's, it's over a million students that are in those districts that are, that are now gonna be using the series in, in very um, significant ways. And so, um, and I think, you know, not enough people saw the series, just like not enough people see, are seeing it here, but you guys are rock stars. <laughs> you guys are serious rock stars, but you know, not enough people saw it in part because it's on stars. Um, which is not even a lot of people who have stars don't realize they have stars because it's a premium cable channel it's like HBO but um, but not nearly as you know well known or significant um, and but what I mean you could really speak to this better because you've really followed the social media you guys have both but my what's been your impression about the sort of embrace of the series or the the dialogue around the series and more nationally. Sure, yeah,
0: I I think the uh, people who have been engaged with the series uh, really relate to it in several ways. They either, they see themselves in it somehow from their high school experience has been similar or the community that they live in currently is very similar to Oak Park and is dealing with similar issues. And depending on their race, uh, the black people, you know, we'll embrace the stories of the black characters that are in our film and understand where they're coming from and to want to push for action. And I think some of the uh, white response, uh, some of it has been, uh, I'm surprised that this is happening and I'm sad this is happening and I'd like to try to be part of the solution to try to Uh, make things better and work towards you know some some equity Uh, I do think there has been some denial though too of uh, this has not been this was not my experience when I was in high school I went to a school that's very similar to Oak Park but this was not my experience or this doesn't happen in my community or this just doesn't exist you know so there is still that kind of pushback and denial there that you see from that segment of uh, of the populace but People who were engaged with the series loved the series, and not only did they love some of the richness of the themes that were pre- that were presented, but everybody had a favorite person. Yeah, Everyone had a favorite person, whether that be Jada or Tierra or Kendale, Keisha whoever. You know, they all had Terrence. You like know. most
1: series, as we do, like yeah, most ensemble series. I mean, yeah, I had my favorite. Yeah, series.
0: I mean, one of the, one one of the
2: things. Well, two things real quick. One is, um, Brendan's dad was telling me that a friend of his, white friend of his, who he thinks of as a very intelligent guy, was saying to him the other day that um, uh, he doesn't believe any of that racial taunting was going on of the football team and the the wrestling team. And and Brendan's dad was like, well, why don't you believe that? He says, well, if if it was going on, they would have gotten it. They would have recorded it. They made all that up. You know, that's the kind of denial. It's like, really? these kids, the coaches, everybody's making it up, um, just because we, trust me, we tried to capture it. <laughs> we put microphones in the other, in the opposing s- stands. I, I didn't want to hear it because it's terrible, but if it was going on, we wanted to get it. Um, and we just didn't get it. But, but that's some of the kind of denial or white students saying that wasn't my experience. And it's like, well, exactly, that school, that wasn't your school, your experience in the school. Um, the other thing, though, that was really important to me going into this series, and, and I know it was important to Kevin and the other filmmakers, was, is that, and, and I'm pointing the finger at myself when I say this, is so many, so many of the films that I've done that have been set in the black community have been in poor, besieged communities. And this was a series I felt strongly going in, that it was, we need more stories in documentary filmmaking about the middle-class black experience or working-class black experience or upper middle class black experience, if you will, um, because there, I think there's this assumption that those kids' lives are fine, and um, they don't have any problems. They don't have any racism that they're dealing with. You know, I, I can feel for the poor black kid in inner city Chicago, but you know, kid in Oak Park, you know, come on, is it really? So to be able to tell those stories, uh, I think was really important to us, and it's been really heartening to run into people who didn't grow up in Oak Park who said who have said to me, and I'm sure you've encountered this, they said, that was my experience as a black person growing up wherever I grew up, that you know, it spoke to them in those ways. Uh, yes, go ahead.
0: Um, you said your children went to the school. How much of this do you expect before you start filming? Like, what was
2: um, your and their experience at school when they were there? Um, well, our, our we have three kids, and, and our, each of our kids experienced a different aspect of the educational tracking system. Um, one of our kids had some issues around ADD that 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 made school very hard. Uh, another one of our kids was a high flying, you know, more like the Caroline kind of kid um, in terms of academics and that sort of thing, and and and. I think it was because my wife and I saw what a different school it was for each of them, based on where they fell within that sort of pecking order of that institution. Um, it, it was dramatically different experiences. And then when you when when I thought about the fact that if you add race into the equation, what must that I mean a huge <laughs> other factor? What would be the impact of that? So and having lived in the community as long as we did, we we were very much aware of the kind of you know, inflated self-image that, that Oak Park has of itself. And you know, it's interesting because when you talk to um, black people who don't live in Oak Park um, and you mention Oak Park, well, it's interesting, when, 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 when we as white people mention we live in Oak Park, people assume we're really rich and that we live in a Frank Lloyd Wright home. And so we immediately have to say, no, 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 we don't live in one of those homes. There's, there is economic range in the community. We're doing fine, but we're not, you know. And, but when, you, when people talk about Oak Park in the black community, I've found a lot of black people who don't live there, their attitude is Oak Park thinks it's all that and it's not. They think they, they, they are deluding themselves as to how liberal and progressive they are. They're not nearly so together as they think they are. And that's what we found. Right? That's what we found. That's one of the things we found. So there weren't real big surprises in a lot of ways because we've lived there, but, but to see it play out day to day in, in the particulars is really where you really get to understand it. And I also think that um, one of the things that really struck me about the high school, and we weren't really able to get at this in the film at all, was the degree to which it's such a cliquish environment at the faculty level, that it's a like, um, it's... Small groups of people. Yeah, and, yeah you know, it, it, in other words, in it struck me many times that not all those teachers by any means, and some of the teachers we follow are clear exceptions to this, what I'm about to say, is it's like a lot of them never left high school. You know, the, the, the kind of, you're either in with the in group uh, teachers you're, you're you're the smart teachers who sit at this table for lunch we couldn't shoot in the teacher's uh, cafeteria we wanted to um <laughs> you know it and and i think that that contributes to to a kind of um um dysfunction within the school as well
1: i think it's teachers
3: there are some really dedicated teachers that really do all the
2: work and the others
1: and there's sort of different groups always it's yeah. the same sort of thing yeah. Um, yeah more there was one
2: back maybe there. everybody just wants to go home now <laughs> oh, oh do oh you know what no. there's posters downstairs too there's a few so posters we're gonna, we
1: have more for, only for the only if you stay to see the whole ten up if you're here at 10 in the morning to see <laughs> I, I just had one more like obviously race is the predominant theme and, and intent of the film to, but there 's also something about achie- this achievement this word achievement that comes up in a achievement in american society you know i 'm canadian it 's not that much different yeah but um that really struck me as a, as like an underlying, it just this pressure on these kids and and their, and their future. I don't know if it's the same here. It's not. I don't feel that uh, necessarily, uh, where I am. But no, I think.
2: That. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. America is such an achievement oriented, and we measure people by achievement. I mean, that's how we yeah, measure. It's so binary. You know. Yes, we measure people's worth by their achievement. And so, yeah, there are a lot of kids in this series who are driven, their parents are driven on their behalf, and which is one of the reasons why I like so much what Tyrone Williams says at one point when he's talking about Jada. I mean, I remember um, when I found out I, I was, you know, when Bing was interviewing her and asking her about her academic situation, I, I was shooting for him that day, and when she said um that she was basically a gap kid you know that she had a 17 RACTs which is not a good score and that her GPA was pretty low i remember being shocked like wait how's that possible she's brilliant and she's passionate and she's so focused on on ed- her education and and, and educating us <laughs> right and And then Tyrone Williams explained it all. It's sort of like we need to get away from these very empirical-based, very very limited ways in which we define what achievement is and what being smart is. Instead of um, looking at test scores and GPAs, which are fraught with all kinds of racial systemic issues, let's look at how kids can show us how they're smart, not how do they fit into certain very narrow boxes of how we define whether they're smart or not. I love that insight from him. And I feel like the series shows that in so many ways through these kids. You see the ways in which they are engaged and and succeed beautifully um, when they feel like they're in an environment where they can succeed and they see real value in that in that achievement. Yeah, it is.
1: <laughs> I don't, it's been a long day. I, you just flew in this morning with uh, Judy and team. So thank you so much for sticking out today. Thank you thank all you. for this incredible, incredible film uh, series. Uh, but uh, One really, long uh, Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for those of you who came. Six, group picture with yes. the uh, 600, people that still came for 623 yes, 23 minutes of yeah. your time.
0: Thank you for listening. Please check out other podcast episodes and video recordings of other talks and events of Itva IDFA at itfa.nl and subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date.